Hello and welcome to the Lupus Ontario podcast. I'm Brent Leonard. We have a very special guest with us today. Mustafa joins us to talk about his lupus journey and the toll the disease took on him as it progressed and went undiagnosed. Mustafa's story is unique not just because it brought him perilously close to death before finally being diagnosed, but also because women are as much as nine times more likely to be diagnosed with lupus than men. Mustafa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brent. Yes, my name is Mustafa. Um, I've been living with lupus for 15 years, or yeah, I think almost 16 years. And I'm a male lupus warrior, obviously, which is quite rare. I still think I can count on the fingers on my on one hand how many males with lupus I've met, and it's been 15 years. So I'm happy to uh, talk about my story and maybe give some any any tips uh, since I've been living with this illness for so long. It's wonderful to have you with us. And like you say, to raise awareness to the male aspect of getting lupus and what that journey can look like. Perhaps you could give us an idea of going way back 15 or 16 years ago, or even longer than that, prior to when symptoms first started, what was life like for you? Were you really active? What was your, what were your hobbies like? What was life for you like then? My first symptoms uh, presented in 2006. I was in university, I was playing football, and uh, my part-time job was in the Canadian Army Reserves. So I was very active, very busy, you know, I was a strong guy, like I said, going to school, playing sports, military, you know, life was, was great. I could go out and party, have fun, go out in the sun, <laughs> and, you know, just uh, not really worry, you know, you kind of feel invincible. And then sometime I went to Uganda. Uh, that's where my parents are from. And uh, I got uh, severe rashes all over my skin. But I got some cream and didn't think anything of it. And then I was uh, studying for exams. And I wasn't sleeping much. I started to get sick, like uh, some psychiatric symptoms. So I ended up going to the hospital. But they were like, oh, we see this all the time during exam time. Students are stressed. So, you know, that was just something that was, and there were other students there with me going through the kind of the same thing. So they did an MRI for some reason. And they saw that, I think they saw like a, a small blood clot and they were kind of like, oh, well, you didn't sleep for a while. So no big deal. So I didn't think anything of it. Right. Because, you know, when you're young and you're not really familiar with the healthcare system or things like that, you don't you don't think anything. You didn't have smartphones back then to Google stuff. So went on my way. And then as the months uh, started to pass by, I started to get progressively more sick. And I'd go see the family doctor. I'd go to the emergency room. Oh, you're spilling a little bit of protein. Oh, you're a little bit anemic, but you'll get better. Just go home. So it was kind of that back and forth, you know, which a lot of lupus patients go through, right? And then I remember it was sometime, I think in March, because I remember March Madness was going on basketball, 2007. I just looked at my dad and I was like, dad, I really need to go to the hospital. Like I'm really sick. And like, he had this look on his face. You could tell that I, I looked sick. So we went to the hospital, they did some tests. And they're like, okay, you gotta stay here. And I remember it was Friday on the Monday, uh, the doctors came in and they're like, your kidneys failed. And I'm like, what? I mean, my kidneys failed. And they're like, yeah, like uh, you have lupus. 
and I'm like, what's lupus? Like I had never heard of lupus ever. And they kind of had this kind of stare. So I'm thinking like, am I in trouble? Like <laughs> what's going on? And they're like, well, like it's pretty serious. And uh, yeah, your life is going to be quite different. And so I just kind of thought, okay, like they're going to give me some medication and I'll be better and things like that. So that's kind of how it started. Wow. So that's, that's quite the journey for, for your introduction to lupus and not having known what it was up to that point. So we kind of go back a little bit and to the time when you were in school and you first kind of came down with uh, your first symptoms and you, you had traveled and, and spent some time in the sun, you had a rash and then you had some psychological symptoms. What was that like? So you were in school, you were studying, did you think that it was just more kind of stress related and that's what the doctors were saying? So you were like, okay, that's fine. Or how, how did you react to, to that situation? Well, first that situation ended up being a stroke from lupus or CNS lupus or uh, cerebritis. That was all pieced together. Once I finally got the diagnosis at that point, I didn't think anything of it. I thought, like I said before, oh, you're stressed, school, sports, work, other kids were there, like other university students. So I kind of just thought, hey, yeah, it was kind of unusual to hallucinate and kind of have psychiatric symptoms. Once like you got it, I got into the hospital and they gave me medication. Then I kind of crashed a bit and, you know, I got my sleep pattern back and I ended up finishing my degree in the summer, but it was not something that I thought was going to be a dramatic impact. I just thought, okay, it's a small blip, lots of stress. Other people go through that. I'm better, you know, after a month that was better. And I went on my way. Uh, looking back on it, I really wish there would have been a follow-up on that blood clot because then maybe we would have prevented, you know, the snowball effect like the lupus nephritis and things like that. Because when I was diagnosed, it was quite catastrophic. And even when you're black too, and you present some symptoms, they sometimes think it's sickle cell. And that's what I got, to be honest too, you know, they, they were looking for that sickle cell and AIDS before they even thought about lupus. I understand too, one of the kind of strange coincidences is that when you came back from your trip, they treated you with a medication that just so happens to also be one that they use to treat lupus. And so for a period of time, things got a little bit better for you as well. Is that right? Yeah, they gave me a, cause I mentioned, oh, maybe it was malaria. My dad was thinking like, oh, you know, like, and so they gave me an anti-malarial. It wasn't Plaquenil, it was like, I guess the anti-malarial that, um, it would give for malaria, malaria, and I felt a lot better. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it probably, probably have malaria. But that was kind of sh uh, short lasting, you know, it was a few weeks. And then I started to, you know, get worse. But it was an uh, interesting coincidence that given an anti-malaria, and yet you felt the, the, the effects of it working. So now I know <laughs> why they, they, they accidentally stumbled on the right path without knowing it. Exactly. You had what in retrospect might have been a rash, certainly a reaction to sunlight. You had the cognitive issues or, or the hallucinations due to the blood clot. And when you kind of look back at things now, now that you've gone through this and you know that it is lupus, how close together were your symptoms or were they spaced out apart? So did you have one that would flare up and then it would subside and you would go through a number of weeks or months before something else would happen? Or how did that work for you? Well, with the, the 
the blood clot or the stroke and the psychiatric symptoms, those were kind of close together. So I wasn't sleeping, you know, that's what probably happened. Um, and then the, the anemia and the spilling of the, the, the protein, that was over a few months. So generally I was just feeling tired, right? right? So I didn't really, and then I, you know, there was some protein in the year, but nothing that was making them go like, oh, this is a huge concern as well as the anemia. It was like, I was borderline. Like my hemoglobin wasn't like extremely low. It was lower, but it wasn't anything like, like you should be hospitalized kind of thing. When you're a, a young, early twenties or mid twenties guy and you're strong and everything's going well and the world's kind of your oyster, you don't think about, oh, I need to see a rheumatologist. You think that's that's something somebody in their older eight, older years is going to have to see, not someone my age or for what I'm going through. When when you kind of thought of life before all of this and then now as you're going through it, what was your life like as you're going through these symptoms? Are you thinking, hey, I have a, a really serious problem here or you know what, I can deal with this, time will help me out and I'm, I'm going to get over whatever this is? Well, that's it. I was, I was trying to date. I was going out dancing. Like I was uh, kind of just pushing it. You know, you're just living life, you know, hanging out with friends, whatever. Like I just thought, okay, I'll get better. It's, it's, I, I'm also, you know, you're trying to figure out your life after you graduate. Okay. Looking for work, exactly. supply teaching kind of thing. Oh, do I want to do the military? Do I want to go back to school? So there, there was a lot of, it's a period where, you know, there's a lot of stress and things like that. So it wasn't anything that I thought would be what my life turned out to be. Leading up to that moment when you were with your dad and you said, Hey dad, I, I, I really don't feel well. I think I need to go to the hospital. What were you feeling then? What was it? Uh, the kidneys that were the biggest issue at that point, or what was your greatest symptom at that time that really kind of made you say, I, you know what, I need, I need help. Uh, it, said it was the kidneys, but I didn't know. So I just felt tremendously like tired, kind of nauseous and just not really well at all. And I must've looked sick. Cause I just remember my dad's face, like, okay, we got to go. Like something is really wrong, but it wasn't anything that, you know, I could pinpoint. I just knew that I had to go to the hospital because like I could barely walk. I could, I was tremendously nauseous. But I just thought, okay, go to the hospital. And like, just go to the ER. You know, when you're a kid, you go to the children's hospital, ear infection. Like I was just kind of thinking like that. And throughout all of this, did you have a family physician that you were seeing and trying to get help from, or was it more when your symptoms came up, they were so acute that it was really emergency room hospital and that's the place to go. Well, it was both. I had a family, I had a wonderful family doctor and he sent me originally to uh, infectious disease. Malaria was something you know, we ended up investigating. When you go back to that hospital and you you know you're not feeling well and they come back to you and say, your kidneys are failing. What was that like? It was kind of like surreal. I was just like, couldn't believe it. But I still was like, okay, they're going to fix it. And I remember my, my feet starting to swell. And, uh, but I just thought, okay, like, um, they gave me some medication. And then obviously before that, they have a pharmacist that comes and talks to you and kind of explains there'll be these kind of side effects, but you know, you're so, you're just like, give me the drugs. You don't care. You know? <laughs> yeah. You're, you're only seeing my kidneys are failing kind of yeah. address that. Yeah. 
So, but the good, the thing is like the nephrologist would come and he'd be like, okay, like they're getting better. You're all right. You're hanging on, you know? So I remember that. So I was like, okay. <laughs> that sounds like progress. Yeah. So you had skin involvement, brain involvement, kidneys, heart as well, or not necessarily heart? Yeah, the heart came a little bit late because I was hospitalized for about three months. So I got pericarditis at some point. And that was kind of scary because I had tremendous chest pain. Mm -hmm. And then when you're hearing the heart stuff, then you're like, okay, like this is, that's what really like, like this is, this is for real. So how long were you in the hospital for? Three months. Three months. And you had already had your lupus diagnosis essentially at the time your kidneys started to shut down. So yeah, basically what happened is the kidneys started to shut down. And then after that, it was like a snowball effect that I get hemolytic anemia. Okay. The red blood cells were being destroyed, crazy hypertension that was just uncontrollable. And with the hypertension, I'm, I'm allergic to a lot of blood pressure medications. So I found out the hard way you're getting anaphylactic reactions, swollen lips. So we're trying to control the blood pressure. So I ended up going to the ICU for a bit and that was kind of scary. And like some stuff I actually had to go back. I had to stay later, not because I was necessarily sick, but I was developing side effects to the medications. Right. It was one thing after the other, whether it's the disease or side effects of the medications. And we were trying to avoid chemotherapy. And so as people, a lot of people know in Canada, you know, we don't have a single payer pharmacare system. So it's for some drugs, like you're not going to be able to get them unless you have a private plan. But luckily I was able to get onto a, um, a drug program uh, that would cover the rituxan. So we were able to avoid chemotherapy or cetoxin or cyclophosphamine and use rituxan. And then once I started to, when I got the rituxan is when I started to get better. So when lupus was kind of broken to you as a diagnosis, how did they deliver that to you? Did they just come out and say, you have lupus? And then did they leave it at that? Or did they kind of explain to you what lupus was and, and how it kind of fit into the picture? Yeah, they tried their best to explain it. They had some literature that I could read and my parents picked up some books, but it was still very difficult to understand it's such a complex disease that affects everybody so differently. And, you know, when looking back at it, like at the time there was no, there was no benefit. There was no drug that was really just for lupus. So they're kind of saying, okay, you have to take these other drugs. Like you're hearing immunosuppressants, right. That are for, you know, uh, transplant. So you're, you're kind of like, how does that work? And then, you know, prednisone, Plaquenil, obviously blood pressure medication. So I was like, what? Like, I didn't know kidneys help with blood pressure. So it's just, you know, it was, it was just a lot to kind of absorb. And like I said, I didn't have us, you didn't have smartphones back then. It took me a while to kind of grasp what it was. Having gone through all of that, and now you're coming out of kind of that acute phase where you were close to death, your kidneys were shutting down, brain, skin, heart issues. Now you've got a diagnosis, you have some medications to treat it. How long did it take you to kind of get back on a balanced path health-wise and start to feel a little bit better and get back to a bit of normalcy in your life? It took about a year and a half. Uh, it took a while to taper down a lot of the prednisone. I was on quite high doses. 
but about a year and a half, uh, I lost a lot of weight. I started to, to feel better. Knew how to take my medication every day, not to miss medication, get accustomed to going to doctor's appointments. And then I started to work. I was kind of like, okay, like I got to live like this. And, you know, it was tough because every day I was thinking, how am I going to live? Like, how am I going to get a job? How am I going to meet somebody? Like, I was like going to bed at like two, three in the morning and sleeping till like 2 p.m. the next day because I was just like, this is going to be my life. Like, I'm going to live with my parents forever. But, you know, my parents and friends were great. And then I started to feel a lot better, you know, and especially going back to the gym and losing weight. And you just you feel like, you know, you're, you're coming back. But that was also, you know, a bad thing because I didn't know that the disease, I thought, oh, I'm never going to flare again, you know, like. Big transition from what you were before all of this and then now coming out of it, you know, life is totally different. You don't have the same energy levels. You don't have the same, maybe even connections socially anymore because time has passed and you haven't been well. Other people have moved on or moved away. Uh, What changes in your life did you have to make coming out of this, whether it be were you going out still uh, once you were able to not going out, kind of looking after your health that way, uh, eating wise and nutrition wise, did you make any changes there at all to kind of help foster better health? I made some changes. I mean, I was still quite young. So the sun was a big adjustment, right? Like feeling me like I couldn't really go in the sun anymore. I still did it, but I was like, you know, I paid for it. Um, but as far as the changes, like, like, uh, stopping to drink, not that I was drinking a lot, but just stopping to like, you know, I don't drink anymore. It's been almost 12 years. That took a little bit, right. Like, and, and, and nutrition, like I could just eat whatever I wanted in the past. Right. Like I didn't know about like how important nutrition was to really figure things out. That took, you know, two to five years, like by year five, I would say even like year seven, then it was really like, okay, um, the biggest thing was when I stopped drinking at 26, so I stopped and I thought, oh, okay, I'll stop for a little bit, but it ended up being 12 years. So that kind of started that process. I think the biggest thing was my second flare. So after four years, I flared and then I'm like, okay, like, this stuff's not going away. And then I went a year on and a half on disability. And I was kind of like, that's when I learned about the side effects of medications, like the Plaquenil affected my eyes, so I had to get off Plaquenil. Mm-hmm. I was on Cellcept, and that was really doing toxicity, giving me tightness and dizziness. So, it, you know, things like that started to really be like, okay, like these medications, they have side effects, and I have to try and figure out how to manage that. But then I was starting, to, I was working full time, you know, and then I bought a house, I was living alone, you know, like, so life was like, boom, boom, boom. And you're trying to figure out how to handle this disease, but also move on with your life. Cause you realize that like life doesn't stop. Like people have their own problems, have their own issues. So yeah, they can, you know, say hi, feel bad, see how, check how you're doing, but they got stuff going on with them. But luckily I didn't lose any friends. You know, my friends were great. So that was, that was big. It's good to have a support network, especially when you're going through something like that, that can be so life-changing and life-altering in its acute phase. And then it's going to last, obviously, for life. So it's important to have people that you can rely on, who you know are there to support you and help get you through it. You mentioned you had that one flare about four years after your initial acute phase. 
have you had any other flares since then or has it have you been able to kind of keep things in check by just being cognizant of everything and on your meds yeah. so i've had I, my first one was diagnosed that's flare one then i had a flare in 2010 2014 2018 2020 and 2021 so wow. yeah six flares with that many had did you kind of get to understand what would trigger it or was it kind of the same type of flare each time or something new every time uh, the same the last two have only been like the last flare was just an acute kidney flare and then the flare last year was just in my body it wasn't in the kidney um, the issue with me is that I'm allergic to, I have sensitivities to a lot of medications. So I notice it's like when I'm on a low dose of something, like that's when I flare. We're trying to figure out something, okay, what medication can I be on that's going to keep the disease at bay and, and, and that I don't flare. So often like I'd flare because I'm barely on anything. Right. But I did notice the pattern. I got to go to the ER. You know, you feel <laughs> just, you know it, right? You feel it coming. And I think now it's a little bit easier to predict because um, the blood work we get to see like on our, on our apps, but I know how to interpret a lot, not fully, but I have an idea, right? Cause it's the same stuff. So I can see things and go, okay, like, you know, I think I might be flaring or headed towards that direction. For me, my issue is a lot of it is finding a cocktail medicine that will, that'll, that'll work and that I can stay on and not have my white cell count hammered or any kind of adverse effect. Exactly. And that's a really good point too, about now we have these mobile apps where if you go to the hospital, um, whether they're using a system from Epic or Cerner or whatever the case may be, patients have the ability to see a certain degree of information about their files. And a lot of that that is visible is blood work. And I think that's an important point that you raise because part of the whole kind of lupus education, lupus awareness piece is about becoming more involved in your care and understanding what treatments might be out there. And then also understanding how to speak to your doctor. And the only way that patients and people with lupus are going to understand how to speak to their doctor or maybe when they need to and what questions to ask is to have that information available for them to see as well and, and become more involved in their own care and be proactive. So I, I, I think that's an interesting point that you raised. And I think it's an important one, whether you have lupus or, or something else, that it's important to be proactive in your own care. Um, and some of the apps now that are out there are really good at allowing people to be active in their care as well. Well, absolutely. I think that's the, not that you want to get sick when you're younger, but when you're a millennial generation Z, you, you grew up with technology, right? So this, these things are not that hard to, to access. You can just, you know, like using Epic. I think it's fantastic. Uh, you know, I see not just the blood work, but if you have a ECG or, or heart echo, uh, MRI, you're, see, you're getting the reports, you know, you can read these things. It's not that you can fully interpret everything, but you can have a basic understanding, you know, and, and things like that. Like I understand it can be a little bit more compli complicated because sometimes you, there's a downfall, right? You look at something, you're like, oh my God, like, this is a, like, what, what, what's going on? I got to call the doctor. Like, a, am I in trouble? But that's not always the case. It's very important to be proactive because at the end of the day, it's you that's going to be the one suffering and in pain. And they have so many patients that they have to take care of, right? Like they'll get, they should get to your, to your file, but 
you know, it might take a day or two, right? So there's things that you can do and understand and, and, and not put the onus on, on your, on your, on your physician or whoever's taking care of you. Exactly. That's a really good point. It's important. When you were going through your diagnosis, after you kind of found out that it was lupus, and now you've had a number of years kind of under your belt living with lupus, from your perspective as a, as a man, what kind of supports are there out there for you? Or were you not able to find anything? Was it mostly geared uh, toward other people? I would say people in the lupus community, particularly those with lupus, uh, they're mostly, obviously, mostly women. Nine in 10 of lupus patients are women, and they're fantastic. They are very welcoming, and you don't feel, I didn't feel excluded, but things like, for example, um, when you Google uh, fertility, they're going to talk mostly about women, right? Like, and as they should, women carry baby, but as a guy, you still have questions, right? You're like, Am I going to be able to have a child, you know, and even things like uh, for menopause, like sometimes there's literature out there that says that lupus gets um, more mild when women reach menopause. But what about when guys get older, right? Like there's, they don't really talk about these things. So, you know, you, it, it's unfortunate because, you know, um, you want to, to understand how the disease is going to impact you through different stages in life. That can be quite difficult. But at the same time, like people are very nice. Like I've met so many women with lupus. Those are the ones that helped me, right? They've been nothing but amazing uh, like examples. I don't feel shy. I think they get a value out of it too because they don't, might not have spoken to many guys with lupus. Kind of looking back through the conversation, you had mentioned, you know, when you first got sick, it was university. That's a time when a lot of people find... Uh, or they for sure they're dating they maybe even find their significant other and you know when you're going through a chronic illness at that time it can be a concern all kinds of things flash in your mind and you're like well hey what if I don't find anybody now how am I going to go and actually meet someone if university passes and I don't so I wanted to touch quickly perhaps just on that and and see you know where are you at now in in life and I'm asking because I know the question, so people who are listening to this might not totally understand the context, but if you could kind of share um, that side of your story as well, because I think it's a happy ending that I think a lot of people would really uh, be able to relate to and be happy for. Yeah, it just took a lot of dates, a lot of frustration, and then out of the blue, because you always hear like, oh, don't worry, It'll it'll come, your time will come. I was so frustrated. I was just done. Like, I was like, and so I met this woman. It's just been like one long first date. After a week, she's like, I love you. And I'm like, oh, this is great. <laughs> so I had this great idea, like two, three, two or three weeks later to propose. And she's like, yes. And I'm like, oh, crap, like, let's go. So, and then, boom, a year later, we bought a house. And in two months, I'll be a father my first child so that's that's a tremendous way to to kind of draw the podcast to a close because it's such a happy note so congratulations on that that's and it's amazing too when you kind of get to that your your wits end and you don't think something's going to work out all of a sudden that's when it happens and and i mean it certainly sounds like that was kind of the case for you as well so congratulations 
but yeah, I'm very excited. It's been a long time, uh, you know, coming and I feel like things are really going my way. For it certainly one. sounds like it. Finally, <laughs> you're over that phase where everything has kind of fallen apart, really, and now everything is coming back together again, and it sounds like it's even better now than it was before. So again, congratulations, and thank you very much for sharing your story with us, and, and we wish you all the best. Great. Thank you. I will hope to see you again shortly, and uh, yeah, this was fantastic. Thanks again. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Please join us next time when we speak with Dr. Sasha Coleman, a naturopathic doctor based in Mississauga, Ontario, and talk about how naturopathic medicine can help those dealing with chronic illness and disease, as well as lupus. As always, for more information and resources on lupus, please visit the Lupus Ontario website at www.lupusontario.org.